In your experience with the Bible, has anyone ever discussed with you how to read this ancient literature, these sacred writings? This is the Bible Reset Podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. and my colleagues, Glenn Powell and Alex Goodwin. And uh, last week, we began a three-part series uh, unpacking Alex's brand new book, The Bible Reset. And uh, if you missed last week's episode, we did a deep dive into, you know, Alex's first target that needs a reset, which is the form of the modern Bible. And uh, today, we shift into a second area that needs resetting um, our modern practices um, around the Bible. But uh, before we dive in, um, just some exciting news to share. And this just happened yesterday. So, Alex, your book released officially, right, yesterday? Yep. And um, it debuted as uh, the number one release in the adult Christian ministries category on Amazon. So I don't yeah. think any of us saw that coming. It was a very nice surprise. Yeah, I was I was certainly excited to see that and and grateful for it. I think, you know, I'm not an Amazon guru. I think it has something to do with number of pre-orders and and kind of traffic to the books page and that sort of thing. So, big thank you to everybody out there who who pre-ordered the book and helped it uh helped it get to that spot. Now, I need to ask you, will you sign my copy? <laughs> Didn't I already sign yours? I can't remember. <laughs> but yes, I will absolutely sign your copy. Now that you're a rock star. Right. <laughs> well, right. we'll see about that. Okay. All right, Alex, last week you unpacked a reverse engineered Bible. This is a great phrase, by the way. Uh, a reader's Bible, you said, will take you a long way down the road to a more meaningful experience with the Bible. So the actual kind of Bible you're reading is the big first step. But in your book, you don't stop there. In the second section, you challenge our practices of Bible engagement. You go beyond the conventional wisdom of things like, just set your alarm earlier. I think about how many times I've just heard people say, just try harder. It's all about commitment, right? As if that's the only issue is people just aren't committed to doing this. Um, but you steer us in a totally new direction, uh, a true reset. So the first habit that you mentioned in the practices section of your book, that we need to cultivate learning to read big. You start by admitting that we live in a culture obsessed with reading small, right? A lot of things are pushing us in that direction. And that with the Bible, reading small was baked into our Christian education experience and is now baked into societal reading program in general. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack all that a bit for us? What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And a lot of it, of course, has to do, like we talked about last episode, with the form of our Bible. We, mm. we chopped up the Bible into a gazillion little pieces. And so people use it as something that's chopped up into a gazillion little pieces, right? It, it makes <laughs> it harder to engage with it on a more holistic level. Yeah, it, di it didn't happen in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. These things all kind of touch each other and interact with each other. Yeah. Um, but I would say, in my experience growing up in the church, going to Sunday school as a, you know, five, six, seven year old, you, you get given a memory verse to take home and memorize. And maybe a few, uh, 
have it memorized by the next week, you get a piece of candy or something like that. Like <laughs> it's incentivized. Um, and you learn a Bible story. You learn Daniel in the lion's den, or you learn David and Goliath with no kind of context outside of those isolated stories. Like it's a story with a moral lesson attached, maybe a spiritual takeaway. And you just kind of have that in isolation. And I think for kids, maybe, maybe that's a decent approach, right? Like they, they aren't really ready for reading an entire book in, in a lot of cases or, or that sort of thing. So you try to try to introduce them to the Bible in, in small piecemeal sorts of things. Um, but we never really graduate from that in a lot of cases, I think in, into junior high, high school, adulthood, we, we just keep this practice of reading small, like just give me the cliff notes. I, mm, I don't need to yeah. read all this. Help, <clears throat> yeah. me, help me just get the the main takeaway as quickly as possible. Kind of distill this down for me. And I think that's to our detriment. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it seems like we're not really self-conscious about that in the church. Like nobody sits down. I don't, I mean, I grew up in the church and went to Christian school, Sunday school, church, the whole ball of wax. And nobody ever said, by the way, this is what the Bible is. And this is what you're supposed to do with it. You just pick it up by osmosis yeah. that they're, they're reading little pieces. And if you're reading like a story of Jesus in Sunday school or one of the other stories, there's always a moral lesson attached. So mm -hmm. I think unconsciously kids develop this understanding. Oh, this is what I see the adults doing with the Bible. So that must be what it is. So that's what I have to do. And like you say, we never graduate them to something bigger and better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of think of it as something that I think happens, you know, in a lot of homes on, on Christmas morning. Um, you know, the kid had said, Oh, I hope I get a bike, you know, this year. And um, so the morning comes and sure enough, dad or mom wheels out the bike <laughs> and the, the kid is so excited about this that it's like none of these other little presents matter. And, um, you know, if we think of the scriptures as being the gift, a gift from the spirit, especially mm. from the spirit to us, I think that would be a, a good analogy today that many of these gifts remain unopened and, and under the tree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, the Internet's ability to just kind of supercharge this piecemeal mm. reading. It's very easy for me to Google verses for encouragement or verses when I'm feeling confused or verses when I'm feeling X, Y, Z. And some, you know, paper Bibles, physical Bibles have this like in the front or the back, right? It's got lists of verses for, that correspond to however you're feeling. And it just kind of short circuits the process of reading the Bible on its own terms, engaging with the books and the literature them, themselves and kind of uncovering some of these things in their in their natural habitats, if you will. Confession time. I mean, you know, Paul and I, we were both Bible publishers. And until my thinking on all this started to change, I was the one publishing Bibles that did exactly that, Alex. I mean, I was pumping out Bibles with lists of verses for specific situations that people could look up and thinking if I can get them reading those verses, then they're finding it useful. And that's a huge win and totally oblivious to what you're talking about here about reading big. So, Alex, um, that sounds good. Read big, you know, yeah. um, like, uh, hey, boil the ocean. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Something, something like that. So um, 
you know, can you break that down for us a little bit? What do you mean? And, you know, is there a path toward that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it starts with what we talked about last, last episode. A, it's, it's much easier to do if you have a Bible that's made for reading and not for dipping around and, and getting caught up with chapter breaks and uh, getting distracted by footnotes, those sorts of things. You just have, uh, you know, a clear highway to drive down rather than a parking lot with speed bumps and stop signs all over the place. It makes it much easier. Um, and then the second thing to do is to maybe start somewhere that's a little bit easier. Pick a pick a narrative book like Ruth or, um, you know, one of the Gospels, something like that. That's just a story and you don't have to pick through um you know, law or something like that, that is not as, uh, not as interesting to just kind of read through, um, at a, at a faster pace. And then, um, I would say just kind of get rid of that thing in the back of your mind that says, I need to find something here to apply to my life today, because that's, um, not always going to be there, (laughs) you know, like, Sometimes it's just reading to get get the scriptures soaking into your bones. And if if you're reading saying, okay, yeah, all this, all these details about these ancient people and their situations and everything, like whatever that's in here, but I'm just trying to kind of sift through it to find what I can take away for myself today, like it's it's gonna kind of muddy your reading experience, I would say. So kind of take that pressure off of yourself, I would say, to mm. um to find something to apply every single time you sit down and read. Yeah. And people explicitly are taught that, right? I mean, and it creates a huge pressure for them that if they read something and it doesn't seem to move them that morning or doesn't seem applicable to their life immediately, that they've failed the Bible somehow, right? Or they think, well, the Bible isn't what it was promised to be. And it's just not true that that's the kind of book the Bible was given to us as something that every little snippet will move us emotionally or be some specific teaching that I can apply in my life that day. That's not the kind of book that God gave us. So I think your your advice here to read big and take the pressure away is so helpful for actual people trying to read the Bible and just set that pressure aside. So it's it's a gift, I think, for you to say to to readers, like, don't worry about that. Just read. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, there some someone's going to come back and and say, "Oh, yeah, but have you not read what James, you know, instructed us that we're you know to be doers of the word and and not hearers only?" And um, you know, a kind of a whole life application industry has been built sure, <laughs> around, sure. yeah, absolutely. around around that admonition, and and I it is a good admonition. We don't want to take away from that, but you know, the Jewish leaders, especially. This was a book written to Jews. They were famous for not applying. Mm. <laughs> they were, uh, or applying in ways that really missed the spirit of the law. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm I'm in a I'm in a new group right now um, where we're reading through beginnings, and so we're we're going to start the last half of Exodus and and get into Leviticus. And I told the group um, put application on a in a, in advance. Um, just read for pure interest, you know, wow, that's weird. You know, you know, what is, what does God have against mold? And, um, you know, what, what about these, you know, skin lesions and all of that? Just, just read it and, and and just relax and read it. And, um, 
it's part of the story and and uh, that'll develop so yep yeah alex i, I mean the, the one the one one other thing that you that you emphasize really and i i think you want to emphasize this is is this very tangible this very clear thing of, of reading whole books mm, yep yeah i think we've sort of maybe subconsciously or subtly been influenced into thinking that the Bible is a collection of chapters and verses when really it's a collection of whole books and books in and of themselves have their own agenda. They have their own purpose mm, behind yeah. them and we need to engage with those on, on their own terms. Like you'll um, you really get the sense of what an author is trying to do, to do or what God's trying to do through the author by engaging an entire work. So Obviously, you know, letters are a great example, right? Paul's letters in the New Testament. I don't think he wrote to the Colossians saying, gee, I hope they really like, you know, take their time with this, maybe read it for five or 10 minutes each day. And over the course of four or five days, they'll get through my letter. Um, no, he wanted them to like sit down and read it in one sitting, like a letter. <laughs> read the letter. Yeah. yeah. And and I think people just think sometimes that reading whole books is kind of too heroic. Like it's too much time, it's too much energy. They don't have the attention span for it. But especially like with the letters, most of them are what, 20, 25 minutes oh, yeah. you can get through them. Yeah. Um, so it's it's wholly doable. We just don't have kind of that mindset. We right. have a, a small and very slow mindset as far as like, I need to take my time with this, marinate in it, really study it, dive in um, when we're we're free to take it at a run and just you know engage with it on its on its own terms. Yeah, I, th I think you said 40, 40 of the books can be read um, in under an hour. Yeah, something like that. I I can't remember the exact statistics, but a lot of them are are shorter than I think we think they are. Yeah, right. Like even the gospels, like you can read whole gospels in like under two hours. It's yeah. it's not like like super hard, like just read it. You know, I think like you say, Alex, it's a mindset that we have, like it's a huge deal and it's really not, I mean, there are obviously some bigger books, but it's very doable and getting the message of a whole book just puts you at a whole different level. I think for understanding the parts when you've got a handle on the whole thing first. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, Alex. So one of the things you talk about when you're promoting reading big is developing the ability to read fast and to read slow. Obviously, it sounds like a contradiction at first. What are you really getting at there? Yeah, yeah, it's something that you have to do sort of simultaneously. So it does feel like a con contradiction. Mm. Like, how do I run fast and slow at the same time? Um, but reading fast is really about, um, you know, I like to think of maybe going on a trail, right? We live here in Colorado, tons of trails. You can go on a trail and just like kind of meander. You can stop and look at the flowers. You can sit on a log and kind of bask in it. Um, or you can go on a trail run where you're going for distance and you're going for breadth and you're going to see as much of the trail as possible. And that's what I would say reading fast is. Like there's a there's a place for reading slowly and meditatively and doing Lectio Divina and that sort of thing. There's also a place for just taking a book at a run. Right. And just sitting down and reading and getting rid of the um, maybe the habits that you have around stopping and, and meditating on something or looking up the footnotes or, you know, Googling something to get a better sense of what's going on in the background. Um, but just reading a letter, 
without stopping, you know, and just getting a sense of the, the writer's overall flow and what they're trying to do in the course of an entire book. So that, of course, involves, like we mentioned earlier, not worrying so much about finding a verse for application and some of the other things that we're used to doing when when we engage with scripture. Um, so that's what I would say reading fast is. It's just like mm. kind of put your hair back and start running. <laughs> and, yeah, and just, yeah. uh, you know, releasing the the expectations maybe sometimes that you that you bring to scripture. And then reading slow is is sort of just that as well, kind of slowing down our expectations for immediate gratification, immediate. Hey, I need to get something out of this um, or else I'm going to just start looking up my 15 verses for encouragement list because that's I need the the kind of quick hit, quick takeaway, personal application type stuff. I think there's there's application and there's formation that happens. Without verses. I think a lot of people say, hey, the only way that a, a personal application can can happen is if I get a sentence or two that I can put on a plaque and put up in my office or put up in my room. But there's different types of application that happen when you read an entire person's story and say, wow, they're going through something that I'm kind of going through here. And I can't exactly put my finger on it, but I need to act more like they're acting. You know, I need to be whatever, more faithful like Abraham. Um, as he went through all these different experiences in his life. And you can't, you can't versify that. You can't just put like one principle up on the wall to, uh, to apply that. It's, um, it's a slower process of just, you know, reading big, going on a, on a run through a book and seeing how their stories line up with your stories. Okay. So I'm listening to this. I'm thinking, let's pick a book as an example, just for fun for a second, say first Corinthians. So you yeah. say read fast and read slow. Yeah. So if I hear you right, you're saying read fast would be like um, not stopping and doing a major study on what it means for eating meat sacrificed to idols or yeah. <laughs> what the worship experience was in uh, Corinthians in their church there and all the sections that Paul deals with. But just sitting down and reading the whole letter, just yeah. reading the whole letter. And then you're saying, don't, don't stop and do a study on each part of it. Don't get held up, but just get a sense of what was it like to receive this? And that's the reading slow part is, I guess I hear you saying, like, imagine yourself not, first of all, okay, I'm a 21st century Christian. What is this saying to me right now? Maybe the first impulse I hear you saying is go slow by just putting yourself into the position of a a new Christian in the Corinthian church, it's this new Jesus movement that's spreading, and you've joined it. And what was it like to get a letter from the leader? Um, and what was the overall impression of this letter? What's what what is he really emphasizing? Kind of just slowly letting yourself get into the story, the 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 life of those who received that letter. Is that a decent kind of understanding of how to read an actual book in your yeah. your system yeah yeah i would say so and you know you you kind of get rid of the pressure on yourself to say i need to find one or two sentences that i can kind of mm. hang on to for the rest of the day as i'm dealing with maybe difficulties in my church or difficulties within my family that sort of thing i need like one kind of nugget here to hang on to for the rest of the day maybe if you read read the entire book in one sitting your your takeaway is just wow uh life as the people of god is messy and it always has been 
and that's okay. Like, that's just yeah. a normal part of being God's people together. And, you know, maybe that's, that's a takeaway that you have for, for the day is nothing like, I don't want to say tangible, but nothing that you could write down necessarily because it's one verse. Mm, yeah. Just sort of, um, you know, just seeing what comes, comes to you through the reading of an, an entire book. Okay. So in, in that section, it seems like I, you use a phrase there that the goal is fluency, not literacy. Mm. So what do you mean by that? Like, why is the end game fluency rather than we hear so much about Bible literacy? Yeah. Yeah. This is an interesting one. And a lot of people have asked me questions about this and I think it's, it's an important distinction to make. So, mm. you know, the three of us have been in, in the Bible world for a while and we frequently see studies about declining Bible literacy or wanting to increase Bible liter literacy in the church, those sorts of things. And when you actually look at kind of how they determine those things, it's usually around questions like, um, how many of the 12 disciples can you name? Or <laughs> how many right. of the 10 commandments <laughs> can you recite? And, yeah. you know, I think the three of us are like, okay, so like, that's the bar. That's the goal for for the church is to be able to name all 12 disciples and like, we're good to go after that. Um, and I think, you know, that's, if, if Bible literacy is knowing kind of the facts and the, and the propositions and those sorts of things, mm, things like that's yeah. fine. Like that's an important, uh, that's an important thing, but I think of it as a prerequisite for the true goal, which is fluency and fluency happens when you can sit down and somebody says, Hey, can you like summarize the Sermon of the Mount for me in, in five or 10 minutes? And you can just kind of speak off the cuff about the Sermon on the Mount or about Jacob's life or, you know, David's life, whatever. And you can yeah. just, you just kind yeah. of have it inside of you and you can just mm. uh, speak off the cuff and, and riff on those sorts of things because not only are you literate, but you've just spent enough time sort of marinating in those things that you, you know them they're they're kind of in you yeah that's and good you can express them and i think you hmm. know if we have a whole a whole church that um that knows all the 12 disciples or whatever but but can't do those sorts of things i think we've fallen short of of what we're trying to actually do nice that's great yeah for sure well um so, so this this reading big model, I think you know, Alex. I, I get a chance to go around and and you know talk to groups of people, pastors, lay people, denominational leaders, and and uh, for the, for the most part, you know, when we talk about our flagship, you know, project immerse and so forth, and and the whole idea of reading big and reading together, everybody's nodding their heads. But then in the Q and A time, someone will say, "Yeah, but what about study?" Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's the first thing, right? That's, yep. that's the penultimate thing that we're mm -hmm. supposed to do with, with the Bible. And I think a lot of it comes back to a single scripture, which um, is open for, for different translations. But in the King James version, it says study, right? To show mm -hmm. yourself approved unto God. And so steady, steady, steady. And that, that, that just feels somewhat counter to, to reading big. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of funny that, We've had a number of churches that I've interacted with that have gone through Immerse, have done the whole program, and they still call it the Immerse study um, <laughs> because that's just kind of, you know, whatever yeah. vocabulary is these days. If you're if you're doing anything with the Bible, then it's then it's a study. 
Um, but I would say this is another instance where where language can kind of help us discern and, and parse different things. Study for me is a little bit the opposite of what we've been talking about, where you slow down, you really dive into a small portion of the text. You try to understand what's what's going on in the background, uh, those sorts of things. Or maybe you you take a theme and you you, know, you kind of try, try to trace that theme throughout. Uh, you know, a series of books or the the entirety of scripture, those sorts of things. And that's kind of like been the priority, I would say, for what, centuries, maybe. And I think it's important to do that. And it's not something that I want to do away with in any in any means. Um, but I would say it's study is kind of like replaced reading as the primary thing that we're supposed mm. to do with the Bible. Yeah, like it's we are, you know, we've built our sense society upon kind of scientific method and you know understanding the mechanics of things and how things break down and how you can rebuild them into into systems and all that sort of stuff and i think that has a place in the ecosystem of bible engagement but um reading for me is the first and foremost most important thing to do with the bible and uh by doing that you set yourself up for study well like if you read the entirety of a book get get a sense of the overall uh, themes, trajectory, argument, et cetera, that'll only inform your study better when you when you take time to, to dig deep. And so I think my prescription is kind of this um, oscillation back, back and forth between reading big, getting an entire scope of something, and then doing study and, and digging into it and just kind of going back and forth between those two things because they, they can complement each other. So it's not about replacing study with reading. It's about recovery of what we've lost, yeah. which is reading in order to study can kind of find its proper place in our whole Bible ecosystem, I guess. Is that right? Yep. That's what I would yeah. say. And just, again, study, you're, you're kind of coming to the text with your own agenda, I would say. Like, I need to understand mm. X, Y, and Z about mm -hmm. this text. I need to maybe pull something out of it to to apply whatever and reading is again getting away getting away from those things and just reading a book on its own terms and kind of handing over your agendas to it and and really taking their agendas upon yourself and then that i think prepares you well to to do study Just quickly, I saw yeah. a, a tweet the other day, and um, it, w it was, um, I think the scholar is Michael Fox. And I don't know if he's, I think he's a, over in St. Andrews or Aberdeen, somewhere across the pond. Yeah. And um, it, he was in a Q&A, um, and, you know, one of the students raised their hand, Dr. Fox, uh, what three books would you recommend, you know? Um, if if a student could only have three books in their library, what would you recommend? And he leaned over to the microphone and he says, the Bible. And they said, you know, well, yeah, yeah, that. But, you know, <laughs> you know, if there were others, the Bible, <laughs> it was it was clear what he was saying was, you know, um, you know, if, if the text is the motorcycle and the study materials or the sidecar, in many situations, our sidecar is about as big as a house mm -hmm. and, and the motorcycle is like a moped. And yeah, yeah. We need to get the ecosystem 
straight. Yep. Yep. Okay. So reading big is your first practice you're you're recommending to the church. The second one um, is reading together. And you talk in the book, um, one scholar, I think that you quote Janine Brown, mm-hmm. um, says it's a myth of Western modernist, particularly American thinking, that we can or should be Lone Ranger readers. Uh, you begin that section by pointing back to the history where Israel, the people of God, really began to own the sacred writings and how they ensured that scripture would be central to their religion um, and their religion in a new way, right? Communally rather than just individually. And talk to us about that moment in history and why reading together is such a big part of your program you're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, just to highlight that, I think there's this line of thinking, especially here in the West. And like Janine, Janine says, especially here in America, where people think, okay, the only clear line of communication, the only clear medium is between directly in between the Bible, God and me, like mm. independent of mm. anybody else that could muddy kind of God's word for me and that sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah. And like, look where that's gotten us, right? How many denominations are there? How many church splits have there been? How much right. fighting over every single topic is there? Like, I don't, I don't think that that, uh, that line of thinking has really prospered us in a lot of ways. And so I think, you know, I start the chapter by talking about the Jewish synagogue and how a lot of early Jewish synagogues, we, we think of any sort of a gathering as like the teachers at the front and everybody faces the front. but early Jewish synagogues, a lot of them were arranged in a circle where the reader and the scriptures were in the center and everybody coming to hear the scriptures was seated in a circle facing each other, facing people kind of across the way. And it was a form, a format and a formation that uh, was meant for discussion, right? So they would, they would have the reading and the teaching, but then people would, would be free to discuss it. And I think we've, gotten away from that a little bit to just kind of a one-way communication model of you know being taught having it internalized and you know it's sort of like um going to the gym you're you're there with everybody but everybody's got their headphones on they're all kind of doing their own thing and i think we need to recover some of the more communal aspects of of engaging with the scriptures because we've we've lost some things um just making it sort of a solo sport it's so interesting. I mean, I think about the synagogue pictures we get out of the New Testament itself, yeah. how common it was for Jesus to go into synagogues. And you can tell from those brief glimpses, it really was a communal experience. People were interacting. Same thing with Paul in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. He presents the Christian message about Messiah Jesus in Jewish synagogues. And immediately there's discussion, there's pushback. It spills out into the streets sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was engagement not just one-way communication. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Is actual communal engagement. Yep, totally. Yeah, I mean, you you see it in Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians. (laughs) He is describing their gatherings, and apparently it's turned into like a verbal (laughs) free-for-all. People are Mm. talking over each other, you know. I've got a, I, I had a dream. I have an interpretation, you know. And, you know, what Paul does is that he writes and back and gives them guidelines. What he doesn't do is he doesn't shut it down. Yeah, He doesn't right. say, you know what, Let, let's just have the preacher preach and we'll just, 
forego right. this this right. communal piece. No, he realizes that that these scriptures are a communal transformation book. Yep, absolutely. And you know, these days at most of the churches that I've attended, the pastor will get up and preach, and like uh, they're lucky if they get kind of a mm, yeah from the yeah from the, from the crowd or from the the sanctuary. <laughs> like it's so different these days, and we're just used to kind of internalizing everything. It's our own sort of private practice of of spirituality and scripture engagement. And I, I think there's a lot of good things about personal devotions and quiet times and those sorts of things. I've, I do them regularly. I think they're valuable. But I think we miss something if that's all we ever do all the time, year after year. Yeah, at the same time, Alex, uh, the way you present this in the book, this, this new reset is not a nice to have. Yeah, it's it, it's really a, a must have. So j- just talk briefly about the things that we miss when, you know, privatized or individualized reading is the only thing that we do. Well, first off, I think it's way harder to keep a consistent reading habit, right? If it's all on you, if it's all on personal habit formation, it's all on like Glenn said at the, the top of the podcast, like set your alarm earlier or you know, pray for a hunger for God's word, try using a journal, like, hey, if those things work for you, that's great. But most of the time, for most people, some sort of positive external peer pressure can do a lot for helping them stay motivated to to keep up with reading, because they know at the end of the week or the end of every two weeks or whatever, they're going to be gathering with a group to, um, to read and, or to discuss to discuss the readings. And then secondly, I would say that private kind of privatized Bible reading gets you into this mind of mindset of individualistic application, like everything Mm. is me application, my personal life, my personal spiritual journey. Um, And there's a place for that, of course. But so many, uh, well, all of these books pretty much were written to communities of people for their own spiritual formation, for their own journeys. And so the, the example that I use in the book is Paul's, uh, you know, putting on the armor of God for for spiritual warfare passage in in Ephesians, where he talks about you know putting on the belt and the shoes and and the helmet and those sorts of things. Um, and we always think of it as like, okay, I need to put these on myself for my own personal spiritual battles. Yes, the devil's trying to tempt me on this or that thing, and that's again, we can do that. That's fine. But like he was writing to a group of people, he was writing to a church, so what would it look like for a church to put on the armor of God to, to fight spiritual battles and, and think of that more as a communal application. Like how would that change how we, how we interact with one another? I, f- I feel like that would be a paradigm shift for a lot of bodies of believers and, and a lot of passages that, that could be addressing them. And then finally, I would say it, it just robs us of the wisdom of the community. Like, I have my own experiences, I have my own biases, I have my own background. And if I only ever read it as a kind of private conversation between God and me, I don't ever get anybody else's perspective on a passage. I don't get the perspective of, uh, you know, whatever, a missionary kid who grew up in Africa and saw things differently there than than I did, or um, somebody with a different culture than me. There's there's just lots of things that you miss if it's only ever kind of in the echo chamber of your private experience that you're bringing to the text. Wow. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And especially, as you mentioned, 
if you can find some diversity in the people you're reading with, so they're yeah. not like you in every way, um, different socioeconomic groups, racial groups, et cetera, will see things differently that I think, you know, we all need to hear what, what it feels like to read scripture from this standpoint, rather than the one that we know ourselves, because we all have our own personal histories. So Alex, one of the things you present a vision for is recovering what you call textual communities. Mm. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, there's a few few ideas I put forth in the book to just maybe spur some ideas for people to start making this more of a communal experience and, and get out of the privatized individual sort of mindset. Uh, one of which is just re reworking our Sunday gatherings to incorporate more scripture into them. So mm. I go I go to an Anglican church. We do a, a pretty decent job about this. I would say there's always always readings there from the Old Testament, New Testament, and Gospels. But a lot of churches that I've been at in the past, like the Bible rarely makes an appearance unless it's kind of this rote, um, uninspiring little pivot between the singing time and the sermon mm. time. Um, mm. If and in, in, in some churches I've been to, like there's not even that. Like there's it just kind of pivots straight into the into the sermon and the pastor might put and throw a couple of verses in there to kind of prop up his message about um whatever, being an all-star dad or whatever it is. Um and there's hardly any Bible at all. But I think the the early church and the the synagogues model for us that you can put sent scripture at the center of things and kind of make that the the focus of your gathering together, or at least a, a large part of your gathering together, and kind of train people to read, uh, read with eloquence and kind of inspiration, and not just um, yeah, like yeah, you know, Ben Stein <laughs> sorts of reading. Right, get a lot of times. Yeah, I think mainline churches have trained lectors. Yeah, like wasn't that a, a church office? Early? It was right. That's amazing when you think about it. Like in for a few centuries in the earliest church. Um, if you they considered it so important to be a public reader of scripture that it was an ordained office and you had to feel called to it, and then you had to receive training mm. so that you could do it effectively. I'm like, you know, we kind of expect that with musicians and preachers, but readers of scripture kind of there was a high expectation there. I think that's just shows you the centrality of the word in the earlier church, yep. So the second, suggestion that I have is to recover free flowing conversations around the text. I think, again, we've been trained by, you know, packaged Bible studies to have this mindset of like, stay on the path. Or, you know, Paul was saying earlier, kind of, you're on a tour bus, you can get out, stop, you know, look at something for a little bit, get back on the tour bus and kind of stay on the on the safe route. Um, but I think if we say, hey, listen, we're going to read this entire book together. And instead of making this about finding all the right answers and all the kind of spiritual takeaways from this book, we're going to make it about just sharing our reactions to the text, kind of kind of like a book club, right? So so in a book club, you you read the book or you read a portion of the book and you gather and you say, hey, what did you think about, you know, when so-and-so did that or when this happened to that character or, you know, whatever. I think we don't do that with the Bible enough. Like we try to keep it safe and sort of straightforward. Again, usually mm. with the subconscious goal of takeaways, right? Moral or spiritual takeaways, personal application. Um, but if we just start a conversation by saying, okay, hey, we just read First and Second Corinthians this week. What did you notice? 
Like what what stood out to you in that reading? Or what was confusing? What was strange? What bothered you? And just kind of opening up discussions where you can rummage through the Bible and and go through what's really there. I think that just it just opens people up to have more just interesting community interactions around it where mm. you're wrestling with things and maybe you don't always find a clear cut answer on things, but you're just free to react to it. And I think a lot of people that have grown up in the church, you go to Bible study or whatever, and everybody kind of seems put together. Um, and right. like they, they know what they're doing. They, they kind of get, get the game of, of finding spiritual takeaways. Um, but doing it this way just kind of takes some of that pressure away from everybody to know everything and be experts in everything and know how to find the right answers. And it opens it up for people to just be real and honest about, about what's really there. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the big reasons why young people are turning away from the Bible. And we know from the research that they are, that Bible readers are represented much more heavily in older generations than younger generations. I think it feels inauthentic. I mean, they know that there are hard parts of the Bible, and it seems like the church is working to avoid them, emphasizing how great it is all the time, and just the positive, good, encouraging parts. Um, And it's like you're hiding part of what you have as your, your book. And just the openness, if we were just say, let's talk about what's there, what are what are things other people have said to help us figure this out, and just be more honest about our experiences with the Bible. Um, that's the kind of community interaction you're going for. And it just feels so much healthier to me. So, yeah. yeah. Alex, you, uh, in, in our kind of pre-talk, you said that I mean, the last, I think it's the last chapter in this section on practices. You talk about discovering the Bible's world. Mm. And, and you said it was one of the harder chapters that, um, that, that you had to write. Um, because it, because it isn't something that we can just skip over. Um, We, you know, as John Walton says, we're reading somebody else's mail. We're reading literature, much of it that originated in the Bronze Age in a world mm-hmm. that was very different from our own. We we know very little about pagan gods and uh, cultures of patriarchy and, you know, you know, go on and on and on. And and to read without some of those lenses is ultimately going to be to misread, to read this like it's a 21st century book that uh, that fell out of heaven yesterday. But but how do we do that without, you know, um, quitting our day job and getting a PhD and, you know, Bronze Age studies or something like that? Right, right. Yeah, this was a tricky chapter for me to write because I've I had spent, what, five chapters up to this point about talking, talking about, hey, let's let's take all the kind of weight that we put on all this study and you know, diving into footnotes, all that stuff. Let's get get rid of that and just make the Bible a more free flowing experience with readers' Bibles and reading big and those sorts of things. Um, but this is a chapter where I had to kind of think through how do how do how does this relate to what I've written about so far? Because I think both are important. Like I, I didn't want people to get an impression through the text or through the book that just says, yeah, you can do away with all that scholarship and all those people that kind of are Bible nerds and experts in Hebrew and Greek and stuff, and just like read and and you'll get everything out of it that you need to. Um, so I think it is this strange dilemma that 
quote unquote, regular Christians face. Like I went to Virginia Tech. I got a marketing degree degree. Like I've stepped foot on a seminary, but never in a seminary classroom. <laughs> like what do, what do I do? Right. It, it feels like either I can be totally ignorant because I'm I'm not trained in these things. Or like you said, Paul, I can quit my day job, become a Greek and Hebrew scholar, and then I'll finally actually understand the Bible. So there's this like diverging paths into either academia or or ignorance. And so like, what do you do with that? And I think this chapter is all about you just start down um, maybe a middle path of reading big, reading in community, reading, using readers, Bibles, those sorts of things. But beginning to work some things into your life, maybe casually at first, that just help you dive underneath the text a little bit and start understanding what's happening in the background. And I think in the book, I say scholars will tell you there's like five or six different layers of context. There's literary, there's historical, cultural, there's, you know, all these different layers. And you need to understand all of them if you're going to get anything out of the text. Um, but I, I, I just go over a couple of them in the chapter, which is literary context and, and historical cultural context, and just say, do what you can to start just trying to understand the Bible's world a little bit. And we have this wealth of resources these days that just kind of help you dive in a little bit and understand them. And they're very accessible, like the Bible Project stuff. There's a reason that the Bible Project has blown up the way that it has, because they present context and, and help people connect the dots and have light bulb mo- moments. But it's a very accessible, beautiful, well put together resource for people. Yeah, I think you you say, you know, stay curious or get curious maybe is a better way, you know, to do that. And, you know, when you're eating your sandwich for lunch, <clears throat> you can every day thumb through all the, the scores, you know, of the, the latest ball teams. Or you can, you know google roman emperors and and begin to just get a framework of of the world into which you know uh, what what the first century world was, was was like and um you know thank goodness for the history channel and the the discovery channel and I, I think people are actually hungry for history and so we should follow that instinct and it'll help us yeah. in our reading of the bible yeah and i think you know i i give a couple examples in in the chapter of you know Here's an example of just understanding the basics of um, wisdom literature. So that's not like a type of literature that we have nowadays. And so we read Proverbs and we think, hey, those are promises only to be like severely let down at times when, when <laughs> Proverbs don't work out. Right. They're, they're probabilities, right? Not yes, promises. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, Train up so, a child in the way he should go and he will never <laughs> depart from it. Right. Yeah. That happens without fail. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, you know, just going into like, okay, how does Proverbs interact with Ecclesiastes and Job? Because those are all wisdom literature, but they're different kind of, they've come at it from different angles. They all have sort of different arguments. And so how do we read these three books together? Well, like just kind of starting Mm. to scratch at the surface of some of this stuff can can help you get a lot more out of your reading. And I quote, uh, I think it's Dr. Kenneth Bailey. I'm going to not get his quote exact, but he, he says something like any, anybody can listen to, you know, Johann Bach's music and enjoy it and feel that it's beautiful and get something out of it. But if you understand how classical music works, and if you have a trained ear to, to understand some of the subtleties and the nuance of 
of music like that, then you're going to get more out of the experience. Like they'll, they'll be moved at a deeper level because of the, the, you know, depth and the beauty and the nuance that maybe an, an untrained ear wouldn't necessarily pick up. Alex, this is good. <laughs> There's a lot here. Um, we're we're going to give you the last word. Yeah. So, so part two is all about practices. So part one was kind of the, um, in my view, the most like tangible change that readers can make. And it's, it's relatively simple, like get a reader's Bible and start using it and, and see what comes of it. Part two is starting to shift the framework a little bit around maybe primary and secondary practices. Again, the whole, the whole point of this section is not to just kind of sweep all the quote unquote old stuff off the table and say, yeah, we, we need to totally start over with everything that we're doing with the Bible. It's to say, like to use your example earlier, Paul, the, the motorcycle and sidecar, maybe we've got, we've got the wrong thing kind of driving at this point and we need to reframe maybe the primary practices and how they relate to the secondary practices. So I would say reading big, being a primary practice reading in community being a primary practice and just starting to work some of these contextual elements into your life with the Bible. Bible project is a great place to start. Like you don't need to even go to the store and pick up any sort of huge commentary if you're intimidated by that sort of thing. But like we, we just have this wealth of knowledge right now between, I, I guess, being made available from the scholars to, to the lay people you know, people that would consider themselves regular Christians in the pew and just start accessing some of that and and building up your knowledge of of context. So that's what I would say for the practices section. Of course, in the book, there's there's probably more nuance to it all that uh, we haven't covered here in the episode. But there's some there's just some different things that we can start working into into how we read. Good, good. Hey, we want to thank uh, thank you for joining us today last week. Hope you'll join us again next week for the conclusion of this series. Um, Obviously, hit like buttons, share with friends, all of those things. And and most of all, thank you um, for being part of what is really a pioneering journey. We're, We're breaking new ground. We're crossing mountains, not sure what's on the other side. We're going to start doing some things to, uh, to see what comes. And, um, you know, the three of us have been part of a movement now where we've had a front row seat to see what happens. And uh, it, it's been very encouraging and remarkable. So thank you again. And uh, we'll see you on the next one.